Hey, Jacob's Well Online, this is Joshua Scoyan, student pastor here at Jacob's Well. We are on week four of our Worth It series, this week looking at the ministry of reconciliation, how God has invited us into this story of redemption and how we can share the gospel with those around us. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Super glad that you guys are here with us tonight. Hey, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the student pastors here at Jacob's Well. And you might be able to hear it on my vocal cords that uh, I don't quite have all my voice today. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a bit of an adventure for all of us. You know, going back to the announcements when Pastor Paul was sharing with us about the Live It Well campaign and the results and where it went, the reaction that I had is, holy cow, that was just so awesome. Because as a church family... We saw a need, we made our commitments, and what blows me away is how faithful everyone was to complete it. To get us to that 99.7% of the amount pledged is incredible. It's kind of shocking, honestly. And I want to acknowledge, yeah, yeah, we can clap for that. That's huge. It's one thing to say, yeah, we, we want to do this, and another thing to carry it out. And I want to acknowledge the fact that took courage, and it took sacrifice and dedication. And so we just want to say thank you. This could not have happened if it wasn't for all of us together as a team, as a family, being united on this. So today, we are in this series called Worth It. And we've been going through this for a few weeks now, looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, and this is actually Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth. Something super important for us to know about this is Paul is actually the guy who went and planted this church in the first place. He had traveled to this people group who had had no context, no understanding about the God of Israel and about all these things, and he shared for the very first time the truth about Jesus, and he got to watch as the very first people put their faith in Jesus in something that was radically different for them. And then he got to watch and be a part as they started to meet in small little gatherings and little house churches that grew and became this church at Corinth. And it makes me wonder, how much would you love and how much affection would you feel for those people if you had been there since the very beginning? To have watched these people embrace Jesus and, and to go from death to life, to have their whole lives and their eternities transformed and then to watch this fledgling little church grow and become something that was able to support one another and encourage one another that had to have been incredibly powerful for Paul. Something that would have really um, uh, helped him. He would have just felt so much love and so much passion for them. But Paul was one of these guys that would travel along and go to different churches and plant more churches. And so as he was away on his journeys, these false teachers came to Corinth. And they started to teach. And I have to imagine that these guys were pretty impressive. They were probably very charismatic, the kind of people that would draw big crowds and have impressive ministries. And they drew a lot of attention to themselves. They started to teach their kind of equivalent of this prosperity gospel. This idea that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be wealthy. We have a lot of people even today that teach this idea. And it's a very dangerous concept because it takes what Jesus has taught and it twists it and it kind of manipulates this message. And, and it's very dangerous because it's so contrary to what Jesus actually taught. But it's the kind of message that people love to hear because it's the kind of message that tickles the ears. Like, who wouldn't want this? If you're saying, if I put my faith in this Jesus, everything's going to be great for me. Health, wealth, success, that sounds awesome. I want this. 
And as they came to embrace these concepts and embrace this different message, something kind of scary happened. They started to look at Paul, this guy who was with them from the very beginning, and they started to view him differently. Because these teachers were saying, hey, if you put your faith in Jesus, your whole life's going to be awesome. And then they looked at Paul and they said, something's missing here. Something is wrong. Because this guy suffers all the time. He's constantly being beaten and thrown in prison, having his life risked, uh, being mocked. You know, if God really loved him, if he was really one of God's chosen people, then he wouldn't find so much suffering and so much pain in his life. So they started to bring personal accusations against him. They started to, to mock him. They started to create lies about him. They started to tear down his character and to start to ruin his reputation. And I just want us all to think real quick. If you were Paul, how would that make you feel? The very people that you were there with and you had invested with from the very beginning that you loved so much that you had been there with them from the very baby steps and, you had, and through his leadership, he had watched this thing grow and become a healthy church. And now those very people that he had invested in and loved and cared so much about were turning their backs on him and accusing him and tearing down his reputation. That would have stung and burned so badly. So here we are in this fourth letter when Paul is responding to a lot of this criticism that he's hearing from them. And, and he's trying to help them understand that yes, he's gone through a lot of suffering and a lot of pain, but he's done all of it and he's gone through all of it for the sake of the gospel. That he believed that because of the life and the passion and the resurrection of Jesus, that his entire life and his entire identity had been transformed. And that alone was worth living for. But beyond that, he believed that since he had been given so much, that he now had a calling to carry this message and to bring it throughout the world and to share this life-giving truth with the people around him. He wants these Corinthians to understand that, yes, he's suffering and he's doing it for them. And he's doing it for all the other churches in Colossae and Galatia and Ephesus all over. That's who he's going through this for. You see, Paul made a choice to live for something that was bigger than himself. He decided there was something worth suffering for, something worth paying a price for, something that was worth all of it. And my prayer for us today is as we look at this passage and we look at, at, at the richness that is the gospel and how valuable and how precious it is that something inside of us would do the same thing as Paul's saying, that we would be so bold to say, no matter what it costs, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the price, it's worth it because of the gospel and it is worth it because there are people in this world who need to know Jesus. That's the heartbeat of this chapter we're about to look at. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. And Lord, you have shown us so completely what it is to love someone. That you, Lord, were not afraid of paying any price or going through any uh, type of suffering. God, you, you went through all of it for us to buy us back. You demonstrated incredible love to us. God, I pray that we would be men and women who would love the people around us so much that we'd be willing to pay a price. That we would be willing to go through hard times so that other people could know the truth and know the freedom and know the hope that is found in you. Holy Spirit, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. Wake us up, Jesus. Amen.
So we're going to dive through a, a large portion of scripture here. We're in 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 5. If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to follow along. We're going to be in chapter 5, starting at verse 11, going into chapter 6. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but I think that this chapter, it's my favorite chapter in this book, and it's chock full of such good stuff. So we're going to begin here at, at uh, verse 11. Paul is responding to the criticism um, that he's been hearing from the people. He starts it with this. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope that you know this too. At the beginning here in this, in this verse, it's, it's important to see what he's saying. Because we understand our fearful responsibility. Paul is, is realizing that when we're, we're talking about a holy God, a big God, a powerful, mighty king who is awesome. And, and in comparison to him, we are awfully insignificant. But if we have the right perspective of, of how great and mighty he is, there should be this, this reverent fear, this awe and wonder that compels us and drives us because we understand that awe. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? Like, Are we boasting about ourselves? Are we trying to make ourselves sound great? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. I think right here in this verse, we see a direct call to those, those false teachers, those super apostles who had come into the city of Corinth. And he's challenging these Corinthians saying, hey, don't just look at their outward appearance at what looks shiny and impressive and attractive. But instead, you need to look for what's on the inside, for what's sincere and genuine. We've got these leaders who are all about flattery and telling the people the kind of messages they want to hear. And here's Paul saying, I care more about your eternity and where you're going and that you really have a relationship with the one true God, so much so that I'm willing to risk looking like a fool. I'm willing to risk offending you so I can bring you truth. This is so important. And in our, our day to day, we have to watch out for this. There's people all over our country and all over our world who have spectacular ministries. Huge crowds come. They're very impressive. They draw all the attention. And big crowds alone aren't bad on their own, but we have to look for that sincere, genuine heart at the core, at the, at the center of it all. Verse 13, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. So the, again, the Corinthians, they've been saying a bunch of garbage about Paul, and they're looking at the suffering he's going through, and they're like, man, he's lost his mind. He's a madman. He's pursuing broken things. If this was true, if the message he was carrying was legit, he wouldn't go through all this stuff. And so they're calling him crazy. And his response is to say, fine, you think I'm crazy? Well, if I am, it is to bring glory to God. It is to elevate the gospel. And then in the opposite, if you see me in my right mind, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. At the beginning in verse 11, it talked about that, that fearful reverence, that awe. And we see that Paul is driven by two things. He's driven by an awe of God, a really a holy understanding that God is so great and so mighty. But at the same time, he's driven by this love that controls us, that he has experienced the love of Jesus. 
He's experienced a forgiveness that is so amazing, so valuable, so incredible. And between the awe and the love of God, he is driven. He is fueled to share the gospel. He is fueled to wake up every day and face the persecution and the suffering that come his way because it's worth it to be able to share this truth, to be able to reach people. So whether they see him as crazy or in his right mind, he did it all to bring glory to God. And this continues in verse 14. He says, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Paul gets this on an intimate level. He understands what he is talking about here. This is a profound thing that he's trying to help them understand. There, we have to remember his story and where he came from. The man that Paul used to be, and in the Bible it's kind of helpful for us because he actually had a different name. He'd gone by this name of Saul, and who Saul was is he was a guy that was obsessed with religious legalism. He's described as a Pharisee among Pharisees. He, whatever the law said, he believed it to the core of his being, and he was going to make sure that you did too. He was a guy that when he started to see this rebellion happen, these Jews who were claiming that this Jesus of Nazareth had risen from the dead and, and, and he is the son of God, he looked at that and he said, that's blasphemy. That is heresy. And so in his passion and in his fervor and in his zeal, he decided that the only right thing to do was to hunt down and to murder these Christians, to stamp out the rebellion, to stop it before it could spread. He believed he was doing the righteous, good thing. And that's who he was. This is what defined him as a person back then when he went by this name, Saul. But then, as he was traveling on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute and murder more Christians, Jesus revealed himself in a vision. And everything changed. Because for the first time, Saul had to, had to realize that this Jesus that he had believed was a fraud and a lie and blasphemy, all of a sudden he is face to face with him and having to realize that he is talking to God himself. And it completely changes everything about who he is and what his identity is. And he completely changes as a person. So much also so that his name symbolically changes to Paul. Because that old self, that old man that he was, is dead. It's gone. That old self along with its sins and its struggles and, and all of the issues that he was going through, that has been paid for and it is dead and over with. And now he's been given a new identity, a new life in Christ. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to help us to understand that this is a, an amazing thing, that he died to that old life and now he lives in this new transformed life for Jesus. And that's not only true for Paul, it's true for every single one of us. Who we were is no longer who we are. There's been a change in identity. In verse 16, he continues. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Man, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This should get you excited. Because if you are in this room and you have put your faith in Jesus, this is your story. This is who we are. 
This, this beautiful thing of the gospel that was worth it to Paul goes like this. Sin had broken our relationship with God and there was nothing that we could do about it. No matter how hard we tried to be good enough on our own effort, we could never reach heaven on our own. But then Jesus saw us in our brokenness, in our hopelessness, and he decided that no price was too high to buy us back. That's why he came and died on the cross, because someone had to pay the price for our sins. And it should have been you, and it should have been me, but he loved us way too much for that. He came and he died to restore us, to fix this broken relationship, to pay the price that we could never pay. His death on the cross brings forgiveness and grace to absolutely everyone that will accept it and follow him. That is this thing that was so worth it to Paul, that we were broken and hopeless on our own, but then Jesus came to buy us back, to restore this relationship, and to give us a new hope and a new life and a new identity. And Christians, that's who we are. We should be able to look back and say that the gospel has changed us fundamentally. It has for me. It's changed absolutely every aspect of my life, my career, what I pursue, what I find value in. Now I'm a youth pastor because I believe that it's worth my time and worth my energy and worth the paycheck for me to go and to invest into this next generation because they're at a crucial point in their lives where they're making some of the most important decisions they will ever make about where they're headed. It's worth it. It's changed who I would marry. It changed my mission, why I wake up every day, why I believe that the gospel is worth me, worth everything. And it's changed my eternity, where I'm going and where my home is. That old me, who I was, that sinful nature, the the addictions, the stuff, all of that, that's not who I am anymore. It's dead. And now... Jesus has given me this new life, this new identity that is fundamentally different. It's an amazing truth, but it leads us to an important question. Are we living in that new life? Or even though it's been given to us, and even though the old life is dead and gone and paid for, are we still going back to it? Are we returning to those old sins, that old way to life? It's easy for us to do, but it's useless It's meaningless. There's something of greater value, of greater worth. The only thing that could ever satisfy our hearts is him. But which do we choose to live in, the old or the new? Now, up to this point, he's been talking about how incredible the gospel is, how beautiful it is that Jesus has done all of this for us and set us free. But that's not where he's going to leave this. See, Paul was so fueled by understanding how he had been transformed by the gospel that he believed that now he had a calling, that he had a mission, that he had to share this message with the people around him because he had been forgiven of so much and been transformed and had his eternity changed. And he looked at the people around him and said that they need this too. They are also created in the image of God. And he also desires for them to know him. So we're going to see that in this next passage. It gets really beautiful here in verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
This word reconciling, I don't think we use it very often. So reconciling, reconciliation, really what it is, is it's to restore the relationship, to put back together what was broken, to restore that. So for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. Our sin separated us from him. That, That relationship was severed. It was broken. It was damaged. And on our own, we were hopeless. But Jesus came to die and to restore us and to buy us back. And we've been reconciled in that relationship to God. But now, we are being called to carry this message. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The fact that this is our reality is huge, that God himself chooses to no longer count our sins against us. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I'm going to read this first one more time because I think this is perhaps the most important part of this whole chapter. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I don't think that we have a clue just how huge this is. How massive what is being said here is. Just Imagine for a second, the God of the universe, the one who created all things, the cosmos, everything that is made was made through him. And then that same God is the God who sustains it. Every single day it is held together by his power. And he formed us. But then even after we rebelled against him and we chose our own sinfulness and we turned our backs on him, that he would choose to send his own son to suffer and die to buy us back, to restore that broken relationship. That's the God we're talking about. Again, that awe and wonder that Paul talked about with him. Like, remember who we're talking about. This is God Almighty. That God has decided to include you and me in the greatest story that's ever been told. God is making his appeal through us. We get to speak for Christ. Sharing our faith through this idea of evangelism. I want to be really clear here. This is not a burden. This is not something that we need to suffer through. Some some area of obedience that God told us to do it. So, okay, you know, it's hard and I don't really like doing it. And I kind of look weird when I do it. But I'm just going to suffer through and be obedient. That is a broken understanding of what we've been invited into. This is not a burden. We are talking about the single greatest honor that God Almighty has given to us, that he would invite us in, that he would want us to be a part and to get to see lost people found, dead people come to life, people without a hope and without a future given brand new life and adoption as sons and daughters. Getting to watch somebody put their faith in Christ is incredible, and there's nothing better. And every one of you in this room who's experienced that, who's been there, who's got to watch somebody put their faith in Christ, maybe you had a hand in getting to share some of your story, some of God's story. There's something incredible that happens. There's a power that rushes in when the Holy Spirit seems to just move and you see something happen where like a switch is turned in their soul and they get it and it makes sense and they cry out for him. 
And, and, and I've had the pleasure to, to, to experience that a few times and just get to, to be amazed and think, God, why are you even letting me be here for this? This is so amazing. I'm watching someone be completely changed from the inside out. I was thinking through stories I could share about experiences like this. And I, I've been fortunate because I get to share the gospel a lot to students and my peers and, and other people. Um, but what stuck out in my mind was a couple of stories that have happened over this last year that have really hit me. Um, I'm a youth pastor here at Jacob's Well, and I get to work with a lot of adult volunteers who are amazing. I don't know if you guys know this, but student ministry flat out does not happen without committed adult leaders who show up week in and week out. They're incredible. And we have a youth ministry of like 200 kids. I cannot know every single name, and I certainly can't know every single story. But these adult volunteers, they know these kids. They love these kids. They show up every week and they know their stories and they're the ones that the kids call when they're going through the hard times. And it's a big commitment that our leaders make to be there and to be there consistently and many of them for many years. But then we get to watch beautiful things happen. This last um, uh, winter, we did a, a camp called Winter Retreat. While we were there, I had a leader, his name's Garrett, he's awesome, and our other youth pastor, Jordan, was there in this room and they got to walk with this student as he processed and, 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 and made sense of the gospel and had so many questions and needed prayer and they prayed with this kid for hours. It was a beautiful thing. And they got to, to watch God move. But what struck me is I wasn't there. I was not in the room. I kind of feel like I missed out a little bit. I was down in the gym making sure that all the activities keep working and that the kids were having a good time. So these guys walk back hours later and they come and find me. And what I love about this is grown men don't tend, like, we don't show emotion very well. I mean, most guys don't. I feel like I do more than I should, but um, that's just kind of how it is. And so I'm expecting these stoic guys to come up to me like normal and just be like, how'd it go? Oh, oh, great, you know? But these guys walk up to me shaking, like physically shaking, and, and tear stains still fresh on their cheeks, faces kind of flush, and I'm like, what happened? I'm thinking some kid died. I don't know. And they come walking up to me. And before they have a chance to share a story, I just get swallowed up in this bear hug so tight. I thought I was going to pop. And then through tears and just sharing the story, I got to listen to these leaders just pour out what they had experienced and what they saw and how life-changing it was for the student. And it was amazing, but what, what, what still sticks in my mind is how much their, their faces just shone and how excited and passionate they were. And I, I'll remember this for a very long time. Garrett told me, he, he said, I will never forget this weekend for the rest of my life because I got to watch God move and transform somebody. I've never seen that before. And he told me, like, this is what's gonna keep me coming back. This is why I wanna keep doing this. There's, there's more to this story, but it was just so beautiful. And it's not the only case. Last summer at summer camp, another great leader of ours, Jen Reese, got to lead a student to camp. And, and as she told me about this story, you know, just you could see the eyes re-wet and you could see the passion in the heart and the, and the passion for this kid. It's beautiful. We cannot do our student ministry without these people. But what I love about this is this is the kind of stuff that energizes them to come back because they have tasted and they have seen and they have watched God move. And my prayer for all of you in this room who say you have put your faith in Jesus is that you would have the privilege and the great honor of watching somebody 
go from death to life. Someone who it finally clicks and it finally makes sense and they finally embrace and know the truth. And in that moment, you'll know this is worth it. No matter what it takes, no matter what the cost, this is worth it and it's incredible. He continues in verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Right there, we have the gospel in one verse. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. If we really understood, if we really had the right perspective of how much we have been forgiven, of how fundamentally different we are because of Jesus, of how our eternities, our lives here, our mission, our purpose, our calling, that our sin and guilt and shame has been paid for and dealt with, if we really grasped all of this, then how could we possibly keep it to ourselves? What Paul's trying to say here is that we have the answer that everyone is crying out for, that all of humanity is seeking these questions of where could I finally find satisfaction? Where's my meaning? What's this all about? Why does it matter? What is my purpose? All these questions that people ask about why are we here? We know the answer. And, And people who don't have Christ, whether they acknowledge it or not, are still under that sin and that brokenness and that hopelessness and we have the answer to life and to freedom and to hope. And so we should be motivated, we should be driven by the awe and the love of Christ to share these truths with the people around us. You know, there's a concept that has pervaded our culture of a personal religion, right? This idea that I have a faith, but it's just between me and God, right? And, and maybe, maybe you would feel like, I don't need church, you know, I don't need organized religion. It's just, it's just between us, and we don't need to talk about it with other people. It's not in the Bible. What we see in the Bible instead is actually, instead of isolating ourselves, we see a call to be a part of a local body. That's what we're doing this morning. To be a part of a body of Christians who encourage each other and push each other and build each other up to pursue him more and more and more and to get sent out into our community and make a difference and share the love of Christ with them. And we're not called to just keep all of this to ourselves, but instead to care about our neighbors and to care about our family members and the people at work and the people at school all around who need Jesus, who need the same hope that we have. If, if we're to be real, let's just call it what it is. We let fear stop us and shut us down from our calling. All of us have. We let this fear tell us that we're going to seem strange. We might be offensive. They're going to think we're weird. They're not going to want to hang out with us anymore. But the stakes are massive because we're talking about eternal people. Every human being you've ever met is not just temporary. They're going to live forever. I think C.S. Lewis puts this in a really beautiful way here. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, 
work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I mean, this is a different way for us to perceive the people around us because you have never met a mere mortal. Whether they were fun and easy to talk to and you quickly became friends or whether they were the most annoying person you have ever met and you really wish you could leave the room whenever they're there, they're still an eternal person created in the image of God, someone that he loves and desires to have a relationship with and they're eternal And as your church, we would be doing you a huge disservice if we only ever talked about heaven and about how great heaven's gonna be, and it is gonna be awesome. But if heaven is real, then so is hell. And what heaven is, is it's simply a place for people, for lost and broken people like us who have been forgiven and and their relationship has been restored by Jesus. Those are the people that go to heaven. And the people that go to hell are those that don't have that. Jesus was very clear about this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So again, we should be driven. We should be fueled. He wraps up this whole chapter with a kind of a series of verses here that I think make a quick point. So I'm just gonna read through them really fast. I think you're gonna see um, kind of what's going on here. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We owe nothing, and yet we have everything. In response to the criticism that he has heard, Paul wanted to wrap it up with this. Yeah, I've been through a lot. Paul had been through the ringer. He had been beaten and accused and mocked. He'd had his reputation dragged through the mud by the very people that he loved so much and had helped plant the church with. But his major point, where all of this is heading and where where I hope you're getting from this whole entire series is he's trying to help them to understand this, that at the end of the day, it was worth it. Every second, every moment of suffering, every hard thing he ever had to face was worth it because of the incredible value of the gospel itself and the value of the people that he was fighting to share it with. And so as we ask ourselves, what should fuel us, what should drive us to care and to make a difference and to carry this message? It's worth it for the gospel. If you have been transformed by Jesus, We cannot keep this to ourselves. We need to share. Jesus is the answer that this world so desperately needs. So with next steps here, I want to keep this really simple. The first one is this. Make it practical. When we talk about sharing your faith with people, sometimes we make it such a huge deal. We think, I need to save every person in my family or every single person in my school or every person in my workplace or everybody in Wisconsin. Good luck. And it seems like such a huge, unattainable goal 
that fear shuts us down. And we're like, okay, I can't do this. Well, let's make it simple. Just think about one person. Who is one person that you can invest in, that you can be praying for, looking for opportunities to share your story and what God has done in your life? Just make it simple. And as you pray for this person, you get a chance to share with them. And maybe they accept Christ or maybe they don't. You can keep praying for them and you can, you can add somebody else to that list. But don't try to think of just the crowd. Make it practical. Think of one person. Next, practice writing down your five-minute testimony. This is just something that every Christian should do. We've got a great worksheet actually for you guys right out of the Connection Center, testimonies that stick. This is gonna help you kind of walk through figuring out, okay, how do I share this? Because every single one of us should be ready in the moment that, that, that a door opens to say, oh, okay, here's my chance and share what Jesus has done in your life. You guys can grab those at the Connection Center. Awesome resource for you. The big thing is do something and don't let fear shut you down. Now, this morning, we're about to take part in communion. And I always love when we do communion in the weeks where we focus on the gospel and how beautiful it is. Because in communion, we are remembering Jesus, remembering that he died for our sins. In the bread, we remember his body that was broken for us. In the juice, we remember the blood that he shed to buy us back. We're remembering this incredible act of love. The ushers will dismiss you, and you can follow their lead. We don't have a whole lot of rules about communion. We do want you to know that all of the stations have gluten-free bread, and if you're not able to come forward, please raise your hand, and one of the ushers will come by and bring the communion to you. Let's pray. Jesus, again, you are so incredible, and all of our hope is in you. Lord, we are, are grateful eternally for what you have done for us that you would take broken, hopeless people and that you would die in our place to redeem us, to set us free, to give us a hope and a future. God, it's only through you that we have life. Lord, help us to carry this message to the world, to be your message bearers, to speak for you. God, we are grateful that you're making your appeal through us. What an honor and a privilege that is. Help us to be bold and courageous. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.